All right, I am back. Sorry for the lack of an episode last week. I had um uh coronavirus, which why I would um I would not recommend. I would actually go so far as to say that I did not enjoy it. But I'm pretty much 100% back to normal. So I'm looking forward to getting back to a regular production schedule with the show. This week I want to talk about surprise surprise some historic corporate crimes that are astoundingly relevant to our current political circus. This week, I'm going to talk to you about big chemical companies and about how wherever on earth you live, you, as well as everything you eat and drink, has been knowingly poisoned by a small group of American companies. As per usual, if you like this episode, then subscribe if you aren't already, and share it with your friends or family or whomever. It really helps the show grow. A special shout-out to my new listeners in Turkey and Ireland, who have helped Hidden History reach the charts in now 21 different countries. As always, the sources for this episode are in the description, and if you'd like to support the production of Hidden History in a more direct way, then follow the first link to go to the show's Patreon page. So, now with that out of the way, let's get on to the show. My name is Ellis Tucci, and this week Hidden History is proud to present episode 93, Chemicals and You. This episode is made possible by our good friends at Exxon 3M, Hooker, Dow, and DuPont. Now please, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, recently... Some naysayers and Debbie Downers have been criticizing the chemical industry, saying that our industrial friends really do more harm than good to our planet, and are even hastening its demise. Now, any real American knows that true patriots support American corporations as they spread freedom and democratic values abroad. But there are still those hiding among us who seek to sabotage the American way of life. Bad people who think that our corporations don't have the best interest of the people in mind. So let's tell those commies what's what and show them how industrial chemicals improve your everyday life. So as you now know, what's good for corporations is good for us all. A world without industrial chemicals is no world at all. Aren't you happy you live in a world with smog to keep out that harmful sun, deadly atomic weapons to secure our peace, convenient plastic bags, and powerful industrial pesticides? I know I sure am. All right, now I can go back to my normal voice, which is probably not so different from my 1950s industrial film voice. Uh, Yeah, as you might have gleaned from that little bit I just did, I'm going to talk this week about environmental abuses by chemical companies. To give you kind of the lay of the land, I'm going to divide this episode up into a few different topics. And because I'm going to be talking about a couple of separate issues here, I'm not going to have the ability to get into them with the level of granularity that I would like to. So if you want to learn more about these topics that I'm going to discuss, then I would definitely tell you to go check out the source links in the description. 
They're all very high quality, very digestible, and will give you a more detailed understanding of individual events than I can in one broad episode. The specific events that I'm going to be talking about in this episode are the following. The creation of leaded gas, the global dissemination of an incredibly deadly chemical called POFA, and the asbestos industry's attempt to cover up the deadliness of its own product. Then I'm going to finish up by talking about how companies can get away with these sorts of things, and how the vestiges of the past are very much tied to the realities of our present. So, now that you know how the whole thing is going to play out, let's get into it. I want to start out by talking about the history of leaded gas. A lot of the information for this specific segment comes from an article by Jamie Lincoln Kipman that ran in The Nation called The Secret History of Lead. It's very, very well done and a very long article that I think is absolutely worth reading. So in order to talk about lead gas, we need to talk about cars at the beginning of the 1900s. The story of the creation of the car starts in 1886, but as you may know, up until the creation of the Model T, cars were considered unreliable oddities reserved for the very wealthy. The commercial success of the Model T in 1908 signals the start of what will very soon become a car market geared for the masses. Now, car engines at this time weren't very powerful. They had what's called a low compression ratio. Now, one of the things that changes this ratio is absolutely the design of the engine itself. But also, it's the level to which the fuel is refined. Fuel, in the early 1900s, was not refined very well, and it resulted with a fuel that was impure and unstable. It would ignite in your engine unevenly, causing a damaging ping in your engine called knock. If you're a company that wants to overtake the competition, you need to offer something that's faster, sleeker, more comfortable, less expensive, etc. But you can't do that if the hardware you're working with has reached its limits. So, as a result, the search for a fuel stabilizer, for an anti-knock agent, becomes a pretty high priority. Quite quickly, a solution comes along. Before gasoline was ever used as a fuel, people had produced the first internal combustion engines using ethyl alcohol, which is the kind you drink, which is also known by another name, ethanol. The newly formed General Motors, which is the company in question seeking to improve their compression ratio, already knew this, and so as a result there was a brief period in the evolution of the early car when they ran off of clean-burning odorless alcohol. But that created a problem. In the early development of the car, the car companies were weak, and in order to function they were entirely reliant on standard oil. Now, standard oil didn't like ethanol. It could completely take the place of gasoline, but more importantly, tens of thousands of Americans already made it at home for free. But I don't want to make it seem like the car companies are innocent little victims being pushed around against their will by Big Bad Rockefeller, because that's not true. General Motors was actively involved in burying alcohol technology and funding research into leaded gasoline simply because they couldn't patent alcohol. They could license out leaded gas. So, 
Just like that, the search for a new fuel stabilizer starts back up, and eventually, scientists at what would later become GM's research division stumbled back across something called tetraethyl lead. It's a lead compound that was first discovered in the 1850s, and was immediately noted for its incredible toxicity. It was such an incredibly dangerous chemical that for 75 years, it had gone unused. Now, all lead is dangerous, but tetraethyl lead is especially so. As little as 6 milliliters, 0.02 fluid ounces, can be fatal. Exposure to tetraethyl lead, which I'm just going to be referring to as lead from now on, causes vomiting, weight loss, seizures, delirium, brain swelling, coma, hallucinations, psychosis, memory loss, cancer, and pulmonary edema, which is when your lungs fill with fluid, as well as lots of other nasty things. Lead crosses the placental wall, which means that if you're pregnant and exposed to lead, your baby is as well. Accordingly, lead causes birth defects, and is especially deadly to children. But there's one thing that is... especially insidious. Lead is a heavy metal, which means that, unlike deadly pesticides or even nuclear waste, Lead will never go away. Once something is contaminated with lead, it can never, ever be uncontaminated. The fact that lead does not break down means that lead poisoning is cumulative and is more often than not a near-invisible and incredibly sudden killer. And so it's understandable that a lot of scientists and health professionals were worried about the long-term consequences of putting a non-decaying, highly deadly neurotoxin in something that would end up in the air we breathe. That wasn't so important to General Motors, and that wasn't so important to Standard Oil. General Motors had funded the laboratory that had discovered the use of lead as a gas stabilizer, and it later bought the place outright. GM owned the right to produce the chemical for use as a gas additive. And if it could make sure that lead was in even 20 or 30% of America's gas supply, it would make tens of millions of dollars. It would make money off of every gallon sold. Standard Oil got to produce gas as usual with no threat from cleaner alternatives. And everyone would be happy. Now, if you're of a certain age, you may have grown up around cars that use leaded gas, or you may have driven them yourself. Lead was only phased out of gasoline in America in 1986. In hundreds of places around the world right now, it's still used. And if that experience applies to you, then you may have heard that we put lead in our gas because it was the best possible option, that everything else was bad for your engine. That idea has had a staying power in the American mind. And it couldn't be further from the truth. Not only is lead a bad fuel stabilizer, but it actually damages your engine. The reason that a lot of people believe otherwise is because the gas industry engaged in a coordinated campaign of misinformation to intentionally mislead people about the danger of their product. And they were allowed to do that because the government was in their pocket. 
As leaded gas began to dominate the market, the government became increasingly involved in a conspiracy to serve lead interests. The government, of course, knew of the dangers found in tetraethyl lead, but still proceeded to be as accommodating as possible to the companies making it, doing sham investigations, compiling reports denying its danger, even going so far as to ban other companies from saying that leaded gas was dangerous, which it did in 1936. It ended up being that, essentially, for the next 40 years, companies like DuPont, Exxon, and GM directly funded all research about whether or not their top product was dangerous. The government refused for decades to conduct an independent investigation. As a result, leaded gasoline floods the market and essentially, for 60 years, is pumped into the air we breathe and the food we eat and the people we love. In 1985, a year before leaded gas was officially removed from the market, the EPA estimated that every year since its adoption, leaded gasoline has directly killed 5,000 people. I'll do the math for you. Over 60 years, that's 300,000 people. In 1983, the Royal Commission on Environmental Pollution said that there was probably not any life form on the face of the earth that was not contaminated with man-made lead. Not a single thing. And because deaths from lead poisoning aren't something that you can see directly around you, it's probably tempting to be somewhat removed from that number. Just like the people who die from heart attacks and car crashes, it's probably easy to tell yourself that that's baked in, unchangeable. That's just how life is. But that's not true. We are socialized as Americans to say, oh, but this is such a tragedy, what an awful unintended consequence. But these things are intentionally done. This is something that I talked about in episode 91 on Union Carbide. People who are fully informed on the consequences of these actions still decide to pursue them. The victims of lead gas however many hundreds of thousands, were murdered. And you might be saying, oh, well, that's a strong word. But think about it for a second. If you were making a project for your middle school science fair, and you know that every time you put baking soda into your little volcano, that it would kill someone, would you or would you not say that you were responsible for their death? That you've murdered them? Now, you might say, oh, but Ellis, I didn't mean to. I never even met them. Well, intent doesn't matter. If a bank robber were to say, oh, I didn't mean to kill that hostage. I just wanted to make some money. Do you think the judge goes, oh, sorry, I didn't realize that. We'll drop the murder charge. If you ever went through an indoctrination program like D.A.R.E., then you will have been told many times over that if you break the law, then it doesn't matter if you didn't mean to because you still did it. Now, if the law applies to you, why doesn't it apply to a corporation? If you make a decision knowing that it will kill people, then you are responsible for their death. And if you maintain unchallenged a system that will kill people, then you are responsible for their death. But I've been going on about leaded gas for quite a while now, and I said I, said I wasn't going to get too, too detailed. So I think it's time to change modes a little bit and talk briefly about PFOAs, 
which stands for perfluorooctanoic acid, and is known as a forever chemical, which seems bad. A kind of PFOA that you may be familiar with is Teflon, the stuff that makes no-stick pans, stain-proof shirts, and microwave popcorn bags. Now, in order to talk about PFOA contamination, our good friend DuPont, which was largely responsible for the propagation of leaded gas, must once again enter the scene. PFOAs were first synthesized in 1947 by 3M, you know, the tape, who then sold it in the early 1950s to DuPont, who wanted to use the substance to make no-stick and no-stain services. Unfortunately, Unlike the tale of leaded gasoline, there's no real grand story or conspiracy here. But it's still a similar tale. In the post-war plastics boom, the government didn't care about safety or regulation. I mean, that's the reason that the Cuyahoga River in Ohio has caught fire 12 times. As these massive chemical companies like Dow and DuPont continually produce products that require PFOAs, they feel no need to safely dispose of them. Instead, they dump them into the Delaware River, or bury them underground at Love Canal, or just bend it into the atmosphere. As a result, PFOAs have contaminated every continent, and have been found in the blood of every single person in America. You, listening right now, even if you're not American, your blood is contaminated with a cancer-causing chemical that was intentionally disposed of in an unsafe way because, quite frankly, it didn't matter to them. If there's no regulation enforcement, then what does DuPont care if you die? You're not going to be buying any bulk chemicals anytime soon, I presume. To the people who make these decisions, your life is a throwaway. If their actions grow the bottom line but kill you, then it's still worth it. Lives are reduced to economic calculations. And there is really no better way to illustrate this than by talking about a company called W.R. Grace. Now, W.R. Grace was once one of the largest companies of all time an international industrial and chemical conglomerate that was involved in everything from cattle ranching to uranium refining to cocoa bean growing to oil drilling. One of the many things that W.R. Grace was involved in was the mining of a fibrous white mineral called asbestos. We all know asbestos, right? It's in old buildings, it's really bad for you, and it gave us this commercial which you may or may not remember. Attention! If you or a loved one was diagnosed with mesothelioma, you may be entitled to financial compensation. That's right! Asbestos gives you mesothelioma, a rare and debilitating form of lung cancer. Now, the deadly long-term effects of asbestos exposure were known all the way back in the 1890s, but that really didn't stop the asbestos industry at all. Asbestos, of course, is completely fire-resistant, and it's thought that every building constructed before 1980 is full of the stuff. But where does all that asbestos come from? Well, asbestos mines. But asbestos can also contaminate other minerals. You see, there's this mineral called vermiculite, and it just so happens 
to very often contain asbestos. And in the small town of Libby, Montana, there is a mine that at one point produced 80% of all the vermiculite in the world. That mine, which was shut down in 1992, was bought by W.R. Grace in 1963 and is contaminated with asbestos. When Grace assumed control of the Libby mine, they knew that the mine was contaminated. They did not provide their employees with safety gear. They didn't even tell them. They kept mining, even as more and more people in Libby began to die of cancer or lung problems. Knowing that its product was contaminated with a deadly mineral, W.R. Grace distributed gravel from the mine to be used in gardens and roads and the baseball field and playgrounds. As a result, 10% of everyone in Libby died. Over 50% of the residents have abnormalities in their lungs. W.R. Grace took the $140 million that it had made from the Libby mine and left. There's a little bit of a bittersweet ending on this one. W.R. Grace was on the receiving end of such an incredibly large amount of class action lawsuits that they went bankrupt, which I would say is a very good thing. But then the people who were actually responsible for those deaths, who knowingly killed 10% of a small town, were charged for their crimes. And you'll never guess what happened next. They had the government in their pocket, and so they were acquitted. That, to me, does not seem like justice. So, that brings us to a rather broad question. How can we secure justice? How can we make sure that these things don't happen again? Who is coming to save us? Well, the unhappy truth is that our institutions will not save us. If perchance you've been listening to this episode and thinking, that was then, this is now, somebody could never get away with that today, then you should probably know that the man who Joe Biden has appointed to head the transition for the EPA is actually the guy that DuPont hired to defend them from the EPA. Michael McCabe successfully helped DuPont avoid regulation surrounding PFOAs those cancer-causing forever chemicals that are in your blood right now. Let's make no bones about it. This is a man who has made peace with killing innocent people for the sake of chemical profits. That doesn't exactly fill me with hope. The only way that we can guarantee a better future for ourselves and for younger generations to come is by actively organizing against those who would seek to grind us into dust to turn a buck. Thank you very much for listening this week. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History.
signing off.